0: In 1882, Friedrich Nietzsche made the famous statement, God is dead. What he meant that is that it was becoming evident that Western society was losing the historic Christian faith, which had given meaning to so many people's lives. Absent that faith, Nietzsche pondered what idea or framework could be used to give purpose to our life. The answers that have been proposed to that question what is the meaning of life if there is no God, are as varied as they are unconvincing. They fill the waiting rooms of psychologists and the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. A few times I have seen the famous atheist Richard Dawkins cornered by that question, so what is the meaning of life? He'll hem and he'll haw and he'll object to the form of the question. But if pressed enough, he'll say that everyone should try to leave the world a better place than they found it. You've probably heard many other people offer something like that trite proposal as their life's philosophy. Superficially, it can sound like a good idea. But many centuries before Christ, Aristotle pondered the question of whether a person could be truly happy. Aristotle did not believe that the soul survived death. There was no eternal life to be had. So in that sense, he was not altogether different from modern atheists. But unlike them, he recognized the problem that a person cannot be truly happy unless the thing or things that make them happy are permanent. For example, a man could be happy that he raised his sons and daughters well and that they were becoming happy, productive, and loving adults. Yet he could not be truly happy in this fact because, he would have to admit, if he were honest, it's always possible that one or more of those children could then make a bad turn. Similarly, a person could take pride in building a magnificent skyscraper, but the building could be knocked down tomorrow by an earthquake, or a person could be happy that they bravely fought in a war that protected their country from conquest by an invader. Yet there's no guarantee that at some point in the future, his country won't be attacked again, and this time overrun. Even assuming that the person died before any of those bad things came to pass, Aristotle argued, true happiness can only come from the certainty that the things that we derive happiness from are permanent. Otherwise, a person is just being egotistical. I'm happy because these good things persisted in my lifetime. But after me, come what may. I just got back last night from a mission trip to Bonica in the Dominican Republic, where I went with some young people from our parish, as well as some young people from St. Agnes. We had a couple of projects that we undertook. First, we helped to pour concrete floors for families that were living in huts built directly in the mud. We also repainted the interior and exterior of a chapel in one of the small towns near Bonica. Finally, we started, but did not quite finish, digging a latrine for an outhouse at that same chapel. We got about nine or 10 feet underground, and then the people who live there will take it another 10 feet to finish it. I'm proud of our young people and the work that they were able to accomplish in working and living conditions that were quite difficult and very different from what they're used to here. But I'm even more proud of the great love that they were able to show in doing these good works, both in their tireless enthusiasm for the work itself, but also for their eagerness to get to know and to befriend the people of Bonica, to pray and to learn about them in their lives. Because ultimately, the value of the work that we accomplished is only meaningful if it brings people both us and the people that we served, closer to heaven. It was only ultimately meaningful if these young people were Christ to the people in Bonica, and in turn saw Christ in the people of Bonica. As St. Paul said, if there are prophecies, they will be brought to nothing. If tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be brought to nothing. For we know partially, and we prophesy partially, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. If our work in this life is not redeemed by the coming of God's kingdom, then all we did was mix some concrete, paint some walls, and dig a deep hole. In a few generations, more or less, any evidence that we even did this work will be lost. But if it opened another's eyes to the power of Christ's love and the redemption that he offers, then something truly permanent has been achieved. In the Gospel reading from today, many people are inclined to take the side of Martha because we associate a willingness to attend to the needs of others with goodness and virtue. And certainly there is much truth in that idea. But what Mary grasps is that everything starts with Christ. Mary Mary is focused on that one thing, and whatever else that she does after that will flow from Christ and have eternal significance in light of that. Martha, on the other hand, anxious and worried about many things may mean well, but ultimately her efforts are not directed at anything lasting. That's not to say that feeding and serving Christ and his entourage would not be a wonderful thing. Just as painting and digging and laying concrete in Bonica are wonderful things, but only if they are undertaken as acts of faith, not mere good works. Take even Abraham in the first reading. Although he is unknowingly serving the angels, we know that God has consecrated Abraham as the father of Israel, which means that what he did was not some mere random act of hospitality. Rather, his kindness was an expression of his faith in God, who called him into the land of Israel. In the gospel story, Martha is often seen as the archetype of the contemplative vocation that we associate with monks and hermits and cloistered nuns, sitting at the feet of Christ, gazing at him in contrast to Martha's frantic busyness. But we shouldn't overlook the fact that all persons, no matter what their vocation, are called to prayer and contemplation, to spend at least some time in prayer, contemplation, and adoration of our Lord. Because an active vocation in the world requires this, so that the work that one undertakes is always oriented towards Christ. In Bonica, there is a strong devotion to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, The people there observe a novena in the nine days leading up to her feast day, which was yesterday. On Friday evening, we took part in the vigil procession, which makes its way through the town. It's singing, it's shouting, it's dancing, it's chanting, it's prayer. It's not a Eucharistic procession as we might do here at St. John's. But for them, it's a special form of spiritual contemplation. Despite the hardships and challenges in their lives and the poverty that they endure, the people of Ebonica intuitively know that they need these forms of prayer and worship to sustain themselves. Their material poverty needs to be especially countered by a great spiritual witness. As Christians, we need to understand that a person cannot do lasting good without first allowing ourselves, like Mary, to be formed in the Lord's presence, to sit at his feet, to not allow ourselves to be worried about other things right then, not worried about whether time in prayer and devotion is taking away from other supposedly more pressing needs, but rather to simply choose to do what we know is the better part, knowing that only the things that we do in Christ and for Christ and with Christ are the things that can never be taken from us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.